Well, we are going to be taking a break from the from the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to continue in Luke. So we're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. So this is a continuation of what Mike has read for us. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 856. So we heard in, in our first two readings about the angel Gabriel announcing two miraculous conceptions. <clears throat> the first, in the first reading that we heard, was to the childless couple Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And this was miraculous on two accounts. First, Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to conceive, unable to have children. But second, Elizabeth was well beyond the age, past childbearing age. So it was two miracles here. Now this pregnancy, while it was miraculous, it wasn't unique in, in biblical history. In fact, if you know your biblical history, you'll know that this is quite a, a common motif of a, a barren woman giving birth to the child of promise. We see this several times in Scripture. We see this with the patriarch Abraham and his wife Sarah. They were childless in old age. In fact, Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth and became pregnant and gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was also barren before she gave birth to their children, Jacob and Esau. And then Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, was also barren. So this theme, this motif of, a, of the barren mother giving birth to this child of promise, this is, this is seen in Scripture. And the child of, of the elderly Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, he would fit the pattern. He would be the final. He would be the greatest Old Covenant prophet. Their, chi- their child, John the Baptist, he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would prepare the way for the Lord. Now, as amazing as this first announcement is by the angel Gabriel, the second announcement is even more amazing. The announcement of the conception of a child in the womb of the Virgin Mary. This was completely unheard of. This was unique. This was, there was no precedent for this. This is the only time that it has ever happened. Now, this was prophesied. This was prophesied in, in Scripture. Our Scripture reading that we heard for our Advent reading from Isaiah 7, verse 14. When our sermon text this morning, we read about a meeting between these two unexpected, these two mothers with their special and promised chosen children. So Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this account, this account that we heard over 2,000 years ago that happened. And Lord, we pray for your spirit to be with each and every one of us here, that we will hear from you, that we'll have an encounter with you, and that we will be changed, and we will be like these first worshipers of Jesus, that we will worship and praise him as well. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, this passage opens in verse 39 with Mary making haste to visit her relative Elizabeth in the town of Judah. 
And this section is, is, is very closely related to the previous section that Mike just read for us. So the angel Gabriel had, had come to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, six months after he had visited Zechariah, which Mike read as the first reading. And Gabriel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, what amazing news. Can you imagine hearing that news? Can you imagine if you were an unmarried virgin girl, probably a teenage girl, and you see an angel and you hear that news? Just think what you would think. What was Mary's response to this extraordinary news? She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How could this be? Now notice, unlike the the rebuke that's given Zechariah when he questions Gabriel's announcement, Gabriel explains how this will be to Mary, and he actually gives her a sign. He says in verse 35, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The child will be conceived not by a natural way, not by a sexual union between a man and a woman, no, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then next, Gabriel gives Mary a sign. Give something that would be immediately recognizable to verify the truth of his words. And what is the sign? Well, the sign that we heard given to Zechariah is that he would be unable to speak. So immediately he was unable to speak until the child was born. This is something that would be immediately recognizable. But what is the immediate sign that's given to Mary? Well, we see the answer in verse 36, where Gabriel says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, the sign of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, now six months pregnant, now, now would be obvious to all, this is, this is the sign that is given to Mary. And it's important for us to understand that both of these pregnancies, these were miracles, these were not normal, these were not natural everyday occurrences. They were supernatural acts of God. See, some people read it and they, they say, well, that's, that's fantastic. That can't happen. This is obviously a myth or a fable. But this is the whole point of the narrative. It is not common. These two pregnancies would be impossible if it wasn't for God. They are possible with God. And Luke doesn't present these miracles as everyday occurrences, but specific signs of God's intervention in history. Elizabeth and Mary were, were just as surprised as any of us would be by these announcements. But Mary, Mary's a woman of faith. She does not understand how this is possible, but she submits to God's will. She says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. But notice the very next thing that Mary does. That's when we come to our sermon passage. In, in verse 39, she goes to visit Elizabeth. Verse 39 says she goes in haste. I take this to mean that as soon as she got done with talking to Gabriel, she packed her bags and she left as soon as possible. Now what she is doing here, she is verifying the angel's message. She is going to visit her relative Elizabeth to see if she is indeed pregnant, pregnant in her old age. And we need to understand that, the, that this is not a sign of a lack of faith in Mary that she wants to confirm. It's not spiritual that she was to say, well, you said it, I'll, I'll accept it. No. 
She was told something that, that seems impossible. If any of us heard, would think it's impossible. A virgin conceiving a baby. But she's also giving a sign to verify this message. And it's not a lack of faith to verify the message. See, Mary, she, she knew her scripture. She was a woman of God. And she knew about the messianic prophecies. She would have known that not verifying the sign, that would be a sign of unbelief. So where does this prophecy come from? The prophecy that the virgin would give birth to a son. Well, if you were here last week for Sunday school or for the evening service, Travis taught on this prophecy. And we heard this prophecy when we had the lighting of the Advent wreath. It's from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And do you remember the context? Let me read a little bit of the context of this. It's from Isaiah, uh, chapter 7, verses 10 to 14. Again, the Lord spoke to King Ahaz. And he says to Ahaz, ask of the Lord your God, lest, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask for a sign, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And the Lord said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you remember when I preached on this or when Travis preached on this, the reason Ahaz didn't ask for a sign is because Ahaz already decided what he was going to do. The Lord said he would protect Ahaz from their enemies if he just trusted in him. But Ahaz didn't trust. Ahaz looked to the wicked Assyrians. He said, I'm going to make a deal with the Assyrians. They'll protect me. They will deliver me. See, Ahaz had already decided what he wanted to do. So he didn't want to ask the Lord for a sign. So he tried to sound pious. I will not ask the Lord for a sign. But Mary's not like that. Mary is a woman of faith. When she's given a sign that the virgin will conceive, and she's given a sign to confirm this prediction, she verifies the sign. She goes to visit Elizabeth. Now, this is not a short trip. Mary lives in Nazareth, and Elizabeth lives in the hill country of Judah. This would have been near Jerusalem. Zechariah was a priest in Jerusalem in the temple. This trip would be about 100 miles. Again, this is before cars. This is 100 miles. She probably would have gone by caravan for, for safety. This trip would have taken about a week. This is not an easy trip for Mary, but this shows her faith. She says, I'm going to take this trip of 100 miles to verify this this uh, prophecy that was made. And then in verse 40, we're told that Mary enters the home of Zechariah and is greeted by Elizabeth, who is now six months pregnant. So it would have been obvious that she's showing. And Gabriel's message about Elizabeth conceiving in her old age was then confirmed for Mary. But Mary at this point, now Mary, she had just conceived. She would have only been a few days or maybe at most a few weeks pregnant. She would not have been showing. There would have been no outward signs that she was pregnant. But notice Elizabeth and her baby's reaction when Mary enters the room. In verse 41 and 42, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her, her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, the first worshipers of the incarnate Christ was John the Baptist, who was not even born, a baby not even born, was the first worshiper of Jesus. And this is what this leaping in the womb was. This is what John's reaction was when his, his mother came into the presence of Jesus. He worshiped in the womb. Now, how did John know? How did Elizabeth know? There was no visible evidence that Mary was pregnant. 
nor would it, even humanly speaking, be considered. Mary was unmarried. She was a virtuous woman. I doubt Mary had written a letter to Elizabeth and say, oh, I'm going to come visit you, and by the way, I'm pregnant. No, I'm sure not. And even, even if she did somehow recognize that Mary was pregnant. I remember when, uh, when we first found out we were pregnant with Sarah years ago. We just, we just took the test. We, we were pregnant. And that same day, we went out to a party. And my sister-in-law's mother was there. And she comes up to Lynn. And she goes, you're pregnant. You're glowing. And we're like, shh, we didn't even tell my parents. But she recognized it. So even, even if this was the case, even if there was a, a such thing as a pregnancy glow, how would they know who the baby was? Right? When, you, when you come to a, to a pregnant woman, the first thing you don't think of is this is the son of God, is, is her baby, right? You think it's a, a normal baby. So why would they think this? How would Elizabeth know who this baby was? How would John know? How did they know that they were in the divine presence of the Son of God? They were in the divine presence of God himself. Well, the answer is given to us in the text. See, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, starting verse 13, he said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink strong drink. And here's the next part. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The verse 41 says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, they knew they were in the presence of Jesus because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the information was not discovered naturally. The presence of and the identity of this baby in Mary's womb was not revealed. They have no way of knowing other than being revealed by the Holy Spirit himself. Both Elizabeth and her unborn child worshipped because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And even though John and Elizabeth were the first worshippers of Jesus, Every worshiper, every worshiper of Jesus, every elect soul that recognizes and worships Jesus does it in the exact same way. It is the only way possible that we can worship Jesus. It is by being revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. In other words, regeneration precedes faith. See, we cannot have faith in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, unless he takes our, our hearts of stone and he replaces them with hearts of flesh. Unless we are are born again, we cannot even see the kingdom of God, let alone recognize the king. And Elizabeth and her unborn son, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were supernaturally given new life. They were regenerated. And the, the natural result, the natural result of this regeneration is worship. They could not not worship. When they were in Jesus' presence, they could not not worship. See, Elizabeth worshipped with words, and the baby worshipped in the only way the baby could, by the only way he could express his joy, by leaping in his mother's womb. In both Elizabeth and her, and her unborn son, they had saving faith in Jesus. At this very moment, they had saving faith in Jesus. Now, obviously, given the, the difference in capacity and development between Elizabeth and, and the unborn child, the expression of this faith and the, the theological content of this faith are, are, are limited by the baby, but they both had the faith. The faith was present nonetheless. And it's evidenced by the fact that they were both filled by the Holy Spirit and both by the reaction that they had when they came into the presence of Jesus. 
And there's very many, or there are many very practical implications and applications that we get from this very one verse, from this verse 41, about this baby's reaction to Jesus. Well, the first and the most obvious is that Scripture treats both of these unborn children as people, as individual people, as separate from their mothers. John was filled with the Holy Spirit. He reacted to the coming into the presence of the Lord. His Lord himself, who was, who was only a, an unborn child, only a few days past conception, was an individual person. These two children, they were not simply clumps of cells or, or products of conception. They were fully human beings, made in the image of God, distinct from their mother, even though they were fully dependent on their mother's body to live and develop as, as God had intended it to. So the application for us is clear. All unborn babies are individual, distinct human beings made in the image of God. And as such, they are entitled to protection of their lives. See, the statement used to justify termination of a pregnancy, you know, my, my body, my choice, that, that is just as absurd as a pilot saying, you know, my plane, my choice, to, to justify uh, throwing out an unwanted pla- passenger in the middle of a flight. It's 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 absurd argument. That's the first application. The second implication here of this verse is that it's possible for a young child, even a child in the womb, to be regenerated to be saved, to be a Christian. Even though the child would not be able to articulate the content of the gospel, they still have saving faith. They still know Christ. They are still filled with the Holy Spirit, as we heard here. And this fact provides much comfort for parents who lose children, either before birth or in infancy, long before they can express their own personal faith in Jesus. See, our God is is a covenant-keeping God. And as we're told in Acts, that the promise of salvation through Christ is for us and for our children. And God's promise is not nullified if a child dies or before birth or in infancy. So that's the second implication. A third implication of this verse is that for every person who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and is a new creation in Christ, it, it, will, be, it will result in worship and praise. When God makes us alive to himself, we cannot not praise him. It is as natural as breathing. Worship is as natural as breathing to the one who has the Holy Spirit. And a very practical application of this fact is that we, it could be a litmus test for us. We should ask ourselves, do I have a desire for Christ? Do I have a desire to worship Christ? Do I have a love for him? Do I have a desire to know him better and display this love, display this appreciation? Now, this looks different for different people. For the baby in Elizabeth's womb, his worship was expressed by leaping for joy. For Elizabeth, her her worship was expressed through verbal praise. Some people, their worship is expressed through acts of service. But either way, worship must be expressed. And the litmus test for us is, what is my reaction to Jesus? What is my reaction to coming into God's presence? Do I have a desire to praise him? Do I have a desire to worship See, if Christ is boring to us, if we have no desire to worship, can we really claim to know Christ? Can we really claim to have the Holy Spirit? As I mentioned frequently, if if worship is boring to you, you will not like heaven. Because that's what we will do. Heaven will be continuous worship. Now, it won't be like like this in a church service. We will have an exciting uh, existence in heaven. We'll be working. We'll We'll be playing, having fun. We'll have fellowship. But everything will be focused on Christ. Everything will be in his presence. Everything will be an act of worship. 
So if we don't like worship, if we don't like Christ, we will not like heaven. It will be boring to us. So we've looked at the, the reaction of the baby, the first, two, the first person to worship Jesus. Let's now look at the reaction of the second person to worship Jesus, the baby's mother, Elizabeth. In verse 42, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, Elizabeth's praise consists of her her recognition of of the wonderful and and really the most unique blessing that is given to Mary. See, Mary has been shown this, this incredible blessing from God. Of all the women who has ever lived, Mary was the one who was chosen to be given this unique honor to be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of God. And one of the aspects of of the Holy Spirit-inspired worship is that the Spirit himself, he gives us the ability to perceive reality, not, not from our fallen human perspective, but from God's perspective. Perceive reality from God's perspective. And our, our perspective shifts, and this newly perceived Holy Spirit-inspired insight, when, when we see it, it, it overwhelms us. We, we can't contain ourselves. We must proclaim what the Holy Spirit has shown us. We must worship as we, as we proclaim this insight that the Holy Spirit has put upon our hearts. That is what we see here with Elizabeth. See, Elizabeth is, is giving a glimpse by the Spirit of the significance of what happens to Mary, her young relative Mary. She is carrying, at, at that very moment when she's in presence, in her womb, the Son of God. And Elizabeth, it overwhelms her. She must shout out what an incredible blessing, blessing among women, is Mary. And while the, the, the praise recognizes the privilege and blessing to Mary, it doesn't stop with Mary. It, it must naturally progress beyond Mary to the very source of Mary's blessing, the very source of our blessing, the very source of the world's blessing, and that is Jesus himself. And Mary exclaims, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Jesus is the fruit of the womb. The true blessing, the true source of the blessing is this child, is Jesus. And Jesus is not only a blessing to Mary, not only a blessing to Elizabeth, he is a blessing to the entire world. And why? Because he is the Savior. In Mary's womb is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who was promised. He is the one who was promised way back at the beginning, at the fall. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. He is the one who will undo the curse of the fall. He is the one who will take upon himself the sin of our rebellion and suffer the punishment for our rebellion. He's the one who would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. And by his perfect obedience... Those of us who have faith in him, we are counted righteous in his sight. And Elizabeth may not have been able to articulate all this, but she knew it. She knew it in her soul, and that's why she worshipped. The Holy Spirit had revealed to her spirit the significance of this child. And this is the reason for her praise. This is the reason for her worship. And my friends, Elizabeth serves as, as an example to us. We praise God not only because he is worthy, but also because we recognize that we are unworthy. We are not worthy. We recognize that we need salvation. We need salvation through Christ. We understand that we are in trouble, that we are lost. We are lost and we are in trouble before a holy God. And nothing, nothing that we can do can change this fact. And we rejoice because we recognize. We recognize that God in his mercy has provided for us a solution to our problem. 
Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way for us to be reconciled with God. And like Elizabeth, we praise God for Jesus. We praise God for the gospel. In every sermon that I preach, I proclaim the gospel. I proclaim that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this gift, this gift is offered to all. Scripture says to call upon the name of the Lord and we will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all for the glory of God alone, grounded on the authority of the infallible Holy Scriptures alone. In every sermon, every sermon I proclaim this truth because this is the reason why we proclaim God. We, we praise God. I never tire of the gospel. We should never tire of the gospel. We should continue to be amazed by grace. My friends, we will, be, we will spend eternity, eternity pondering, beholding the wondrous mystery of the gospel and praising God for his mercy and grace. We will never, ever tire of the gospel. And evidence of Elizabeth's being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't consist solely of her worship. It is also evidenced by her sincere humility and her recognition of her own unworthiness of the honor that she is currently experiencing in this text. We see this humility in the next verse, in verse 43. It says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, Elizabeth is overwhelmed. She is overwhelmed by the privilege that she's given. That Mary, the, the mother of her Lord, would come and visit her. Elizabeth recognizes that she in no way is worthy of this honor. No one, no one is worthy of this honor. And this leads to her to praise and, and to worship. And, and here's another important aspect of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can learn here by, from Elizabeth, the second worshiper of Jesus. And that is, we as Christians... We must never, ever, ever be proud of our standing with God. We must never, ever, ever look down on an unbeliever or a blasphemer or a sinner and think somehow I'm better than they are. We must realize that there but for the grace of God go I. See, we must never be arrogant about our theology or our understanding or the fact that we are elect. There but for the grace of God go I. All of it comes from him. All of it comes from grace. See, the faithful Christian looks at the grace of God given to him with tears in his eyes and wonders, he says, why me, Lord? Why me? Why was I given this grace? Why were my eyes open to this truth of the gospel? And we must realize that there is nothing in us that deserves God's favor. He gives it to us by grace alone and it is all for his glory. So we must not only be amazed by grace, but we must be humbled, truly humbled by the grace given to us. And lastly, Elizabeth identifies how these blessings are applied both to Mary and to all who are blessed by Christ. And we see this in verse 45. It says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The blessing becomes ours by faith. Elizabeth is saying that Mary was blessed because she believed God. She trusted him. She believed that he would do what he promised to do. This is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 
6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Forever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And this is our final application. There's a final application that we have of these two first worshipers of Jesus this day before Christmas, over 2,000 years later. And the application is faith. Faith. Faith in the baby. Faith in the baby born of the virgin who is God incarnate, who came to reconcile a rebelling, rebelling people to a holy God. And if there are any here who do not have this faith in him, that can change right now. Call upon him in faith, and you too could be among those mighty blessed worshipers of Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you for this account. We praise you for the faith that we see in these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, the faith seen in this unborn child, John the Baptist. And Lord, I pray for every one of us here that we will have that same faith and that you will be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.